Hello, everyone, and welcome to our pastor's podcast, You Asked. I'm your host, Pastor Justin, and we're here with Pastor Chris, Pastor Eddie, and Drew McKay, our Director of Student Ministries. Today, we'll be discussing several questions that came in during last Sunday's sermon, uh, talking about 1 Corinthians 11. Pastor Chris, you preached this past Sunday. Could you give us a little context uh, on the content there before we jump into the questions? Yeah, we dealt with uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, dealing with, um, in the passage, Paul talks a lot about head coverings. Um, I mentioned in the message that this is one of the most difficult passages to kind of teach, mostly because we don't know uh, the historical context of what was going on at Corinth. Why is it that Paul was instructing that men not wear head coverings? Why is he instructing that women do wear them? What exactly were the head coverings? Um, There's a lot of that kind of stuff going on that we're not totally certain about. And that doesn't mean that we cut out 1 Corinthians 11 and has no applicability to us. Uh, I think there's a lot of principles there. And so we talked about three things. We talked about the, um, based on the passage, uh, we looked at the creation of gender differences and how that came from Genesis. Uh, There aren't things that that sin made. It's not things that culture has made. Uh, God made us male and female. Uh, we talked about the uh, beauty of gender differences, and the, maybe we talked a little about the complementarianism of how we are to complement one another. How the, men, uh, the women it talks about in Genesis two to be help. Um, how the men are, are called to to lead and the culpability of that leadership, both in the home and in the church. And then we finally talked about the unity of gender differences and looked at Genesis, sorry, uh, Galatians three, about how we are all one in Christ. We're equal. Uh, before God, because uh, we all need the same Jesus, we need the same cross, same salvation, same resurrection. Uh, that was kind of the summary of what we talked about. Yep. Okay, so the first question that came in uh, was this, Pastor Chris, you used the phrase gender barrier in your sermon. Could you elaborate and explain what exactly that is? Is it a barrier to what exactly? Um, just help, help explain this, this term gender barrier that you used. Yeah, it came up in uh, when we went to Galatians 3. Right, so Galatians three twenty eight says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor free female, for all are one in Christ. And so one of the things we we talked about in that is that um, is that Jesus has in, in the gospel has eliminated um, our inequality. We have as a culture we like to build uh, barriers based on gender, based on race, based on economic standing. Uh, makes me better or whatever and, and we have these categories and I call those barriers they're kind of barriers from unity but in the gospel Jesus has eliminated that and brought those barriers and brought about uh, unity and that unity now he's not eliminated our differences um, he has simply brought about equality uh, of our standing before him so that's what I was getting at with that Okay, so the unity aspect. Pastor Eddie, what, what were you going to add? No, I was going to say that's a really good distinction because you, you hear a lot about gender barriers, specifically like in the corporate concepts of relating and working with each other. Like there's whole seminars on how to, how to, how to work and go across those gender barriers. And it's, it's something that I think um, those who don't know Christ have a hard time understanding how to, how to work across differences, and that's the beauty of the Gospels, that those walls come down. And it's not just gender barriers, but it's racial barriers. It's economic, socioeconomic, you know, yeah. socioeconomic mm-hmm. barriers and stuff kind of coming down as well. So um, that's a big distinction. And that's the unique part about the, the unique opportunity we have in the Gospel is that we get to display what the world can't 
fathom. They can't operate without these barriers and distinctions. Um, the world puts everybody into categories and tries to one-up each other and climb the ladder, you know, and step on people along the way. And in the church, we are we're unified. Mm-hmm. We all have the same standing before before Jesus. And uh, we're all children of God, which I think is interesting. I didn't bring it up in the sermon, but Galatians 3 calls us, you know, we're all sons of God, which a lot of times feminists and stuff will hear that and go like, well, why doesn't he say sons and daughters of God? It's like, no, that's really important that he says sons. We're all sons of God. The, in the Greek world, to be a son was to was to be the first heir and to get everything from an inheritance standpoint. So for all of us, both male and female, both whatever race or whatever economic, socioeconomic background, we're all sons of yep. God. We're all first, almost like firstborn sons. We all inherit. We all have the same standing. And that's, a, that's the beauty of the gospel that we get to display. So the second question that came in then is getting more at the role of women within the church. And so the question that got texted was, Pastor Chris, as far as women teaching and specifically teaching men, how do we look at 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14? Isn't the man's role to protect the woman from deception, like what happened to Eve in the fall, by refraining from teaching men? It just seems that feminism is creeping into the church and many churches are afraid to deal with this in a right way. So you know, um, the questioner is, is familiar with 1 Timothy 2. I don't want to assume that everybody listening is. So let me just go ahead and read that and then um, let you answer 1 Timothy 2. Starting in verse 11, Paul writes, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. End of verse 14. Um, Pastor Chris, can you speak to that? Um, The role of women teaching in the church, specifically teaching men, um, and how we're to understand these passages. Yeah, one of the things that brought up was that we need to make sure to keep these in balance, is that both because of the fall, or Genesis 3 would call it the curse that happened because of the fall, that our roles have then, were not created. We were talking about they were created in Genesis 2, but Genesis 3 tells us that those roles are now, uh, have been perverted and have been, um, can easily become abusive in both of those capacities. And for the men, um, the, the result of that can be a very domineering and abusive kind of leadership, almost like a, uh, a very strong-handed leadership model that is not biblical, and which we see in the world. And I think the feminism of the world rightly sees that as wrong. And I think that's, we need to acknowledge that there is good in that, that, hey, that is, there has been a history and still is modern history of men because of the fall abusing their leadership role um, and, and take it. So we need to acknowledge that, I think, on the other side. The other side, uh, Genesis 3 will tell us that the women will seek to usurp that authority or usurp that leadership in men. And I think that's where the, the criticism is coming from the question is that side of it. So just make sure we get both, um, that, that they're both fallen or both wrong. So when it comes to, um, you know, roles, we talked about, um, and I think the scripture speaks to this, that there are, and we talked about this on Sunday, that the beauty of the gender differences is that there are two very specific and unique places uh, and really only two places that God has specifically said, hey, I want men to live into their roles and women to live into their roles in very specific ways. Um, and so that is where we talked about the women are to live into the role of, of both helping, 
we talked about to help is not a um, demeaning term, but to help is to, to come alongside of, so the Holy Spirit is called uh, in the Gospel of John. And so they are to come alongside of, they are to, to help. To help is to come is to be better at things or to know things more than, than, the, than the man is and to come alongside of in that way. Um, and the, the men are supposed to lead. And they're supposed to take responsibility and protect in that sense. And so, um, so that's kind of the, the theology of it. Now, when it comes to the practical side of what people want to know, when it comes to the church, and we'll just deal with that one specifically because that's in the question, like what roles are men and women to play within the local church? And so um, there's a lot of debate on that. As I said in the sermon this Sunday, there's a lot of screaming and yelling going on, which is kind of unfortunate. Like, we shouldn't be yelling. There's a lot of screaming and yelling in the world about this. We shouldn't have this in the church. We should be able to have this dialogue and, um, and talk about these kind of things because this is not... This is not gospel, right? This is uh, this is important, but it's not gospel, and I want to make sure we distinguish that. But I would say that based on the teachings of First Timothy two, uh, I would also say would go go say, hey, look at the passages in First Corinthians eleven, and we see that women are to pray and prophesy, and then go to chapter fourteen of the same same book, and see where women are to be silent. There clearly is a there's clearly something going on there. It's kind of similar. 1 Corinthians 14 is similar to 1 Timothy 2. Um, so I would say when it comes down to what 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 role do men and women play in the local church, I think there is a unique role for men to play, and I think that is very clear. 1 Timothy 2 leads right into 1 Timothy 3, so make sure we keep those two um, together in context. And then when he talks about teaching and exercising authority, that those are, Justin, help me out there again, That's our what's our word there? Hennadiatus. Hennadiatus, there we go. Uh, that those are two words that are meant almost synonymous with each other, connected uh, to teach and exercise authority, are roles that uh, that that the pastoral epistles especially say are men-only roles. Uh, you can go right into the next couple of verses right after you finish reading there. If you go right into the next couple of verses, it immediately starts off with the role of the pastor qualifications, and they are to be a husband of one wife. Well, that's obviously impossible to be a woman <laughs> in that context. And so, um, and later on, chapter 5, he talks about that the, the men are to exercise authority uh, in their pastoral roles. So, so the question becomes, so in the church, it's male only or pastors only. So what is a pastor only role? And what is pastor only? Or maybe we would say pastor, um, what's the word we would use there? Besides saying pastor only, we would say things are pastor kind of infused or, um, or pastor examples, pastoral examples. Responsibilities. <coughs> Responsibilities. Oh, pastor, maybe. Yeah. yeah would be places uh, where men are only supposed to practice or only supposed to lead in those ways. And God has designed it that way as we want men to do. And as we talked about on Sunday, that like Adam, men are, are, are fallen to passivity. Right? They, they don't want to lead. And if they do lead, they, don't lead, they lead in a fallen way. And so we want to lead in a very loving way, a very Jesus-oriented way. We lead like Jesus led. And so pastors are to do that. What are those rules? And I said on Sunday that those three particular places are going to be in the in the preaching, which uh, I take as teaching with authority. That's what that that is going going after First Timothy two, um, doctrinal leadership in terms of what are we going to believe and how we're going to guard the door against false teaching. That's a very pastoral role. And then three, uh, when it comes to issues of church discipline and leading the church through that process, though it's a very church whole church. Uh, activity, as Matthew 18 says, it's still the pastor's role to lead in that capacity. So those would be three unique places that I would say that are pastor-only roles. And that's why for us as a church, just speaking for us, 
Like when I'm not teaching, you know, it's one of you guys or it's one of the, you know, one of the other pastors that'll be teaching. That's the practice that we do. We don't bring somebody else in because our church is to be led and preaching by our pastors. That's our role. So that's where I'll go with that. You made a distinction there with First Timothy 2 of teaching uh, is uh, with the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. What might be other versions of teaching? I, th- I think t- teaching in general is a very broad term, right? I mean, you can be you can teach just by opening your mouth and giving instruction on anything. So um, we can narrow that down to the church to say teaching with Scripture. Okay, so now there's a little bit more narrow definition because teaching can be I can teach biology in you know middle school high school you know is that is that wrong no that's male female can do that that's not what he's talking about it's definitely teaching with scripture so now we narrow it down within the local church um, and then I would distinguish between teaching in general and preaching I think those are two very different things preaching is what I think he's getting at in First Timothy two. Because of Justin, once again, it is a Phenidiatus. This is good. So we're going to keep pointing to him for the for the Greek terms here. Um, that when it says teaching and authority, those things are, are synonymous. Right. And that equation, teaching with authority, is going to equal what we would call preaching. Um, and so, therefore, when it comes to what is done in our, in our church, at least what's done on Sunday morning, in a in a gathered church setting from the pulpit, that's a preaching role. Uh, and we would even say that you know that teaching Sunday school classes is a very pastoral type role, though it's at least it, how we have it structured. It may, may blur the lines a little bit between teaching and preaching, but for our church, on a consistent basis, that uh, if you're teaching week after week uh, in a Sunday school class, that we would see that as a male only role um, for teaching adults, um, because it, it definitely is a close close to preaching. It's kind of a blurred line a little bit there. Um, that's kind of where we would land on that. Yeah, I think the, the good distinction there is the teaching with authority is not that the teacher has authority in that particular subject. It's that they're teaching with authority over that person's life, instructing them on how they should or shouldn't live their life based upon that particular passage, right? Parsing out that doctrine and an understanding of it. There's other teaching that can happen where maybe it's a little bit more informative, or, hey, I have this set of life experiences or the Lord's allowed me to kind of see these things in a certain way. And that can be very helpful for the church um, to be able to hear those in certain settings. Well, I think if it, I think consistency is the issue for us, right? I think if, if you're consistently teaching on a, a group of people, you're, you're shepherding them, you're guiding them, you're instructing them. That's a very pastoral role for us. It's how we would define that. But if you're a guest speaker and you're coming in, you're going to teach one Sunday on this issue, or you're going to join a BI class, and you're going to teach uh, because you're you maybe you have an expertise in this area and you're going to teach it. I have no problem with that being a female to do that. Um, you know, I'm reading, I'm going through First Corinthians right now, and I am um, I read some commentaries on First Corinthians, and one of the ones I'm reading, um, and unfortunately I can't I can't pronounce her last name, but her first name is Kim, <laughs> and um, and she's uh, she's PCA gal and uh presbyterian church of america sorry thank you and uh has her degree you know phd and all that she's super smart um i enjoy reading her commentary i learn things about first corinthians she teaches me now it's in book form to me that's not any different than if i heard her verbally Mm -hmm. i don't we shouldn't be making that distinction like i can read a female but i can't listen to her teach like that's really weird to me that's really no distinction so i have no problem with kim teaching me and me learning from her in that sense she's She's not a pastor. She's not in our local church, like 
um, exercising pastoral authority in, in, in that setting. So I have no issue with having a, a woman step in to, you know, to a role, to, to, to fill in on a teaching role here or there. Uh, we wouldn't see that as a thing that happens on a pulpit ever uh, because we do see that as a pastor-only, very specific role. Um, so... So 1 Corinthians 11, and then especially in 14, it appears to be talking about women should be quiet in the gathered church because they don't want to subvert the authority of the pastors, which ties into effects of the fall, Genesis 3. Um, Also seems to be the case of what's happening in 1 Timothy 2 there. I think we see this um, emphasized. We get an example of this in Acts 18 where Apollos is teaching. And there's something that he hasn't quite understood right. Because Priscilla and Aquila, I think it's verse 25 or 26 of Acts 18, if you want to look it up, they invite him to their home. And and Luke writes in Acts 18 that they explain to him a more excellent way or in a more mm-hmm. adequate way. So it's, it's not that a woman can't speak into an issue and actually instruct a pastor in an issue. Absolutely. But it's in the gathered church that is going to have a, um, a subverting effect to the authority and the of the pastor and ultimately of the gospel going forward. And so it's, it's a protection there. Um, just a couple of thoughts on, on kind of rapid fire questions. If you, you laid out some of the ways in which we would say in our church at Parkside Bible church right now, here are spots where this is a, a male only role. I, sh- I shouldn't say that a, a, a role for a qualified, biblically qualified male. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't say male only because there's, there's a lot of men that we would not allow into some of those roles. Um, Small group leader. Yeah. Facilitation of discussion, yep. teaching in some ways, something that a woman is encouraged to do. Yes. I would say that's that's totally fine. Yep. Again, Again that's not a they wouldn't see that as a pastoral pastoral only role. We would see that as um, it, again to be a qualified male or female that that has the integrity and also the ability. Um, I think those are two issues we're looking for. Somebody gives a testimony in church. Gathered assembly, welcome them to the stage with microphone, give testimony. Part of their testimony is I'm going to open the scriptures and say, I read this. This is what has happened. This is how God used me. And church, you need to do this too. There's a degree of exhortation. Yeah, I think we had Good that on Sunday. Lady. Fun, fun ye gave her testimony and it was about seven or eight minutes long, but she almost like had a second second sermon for us. Like, I mean, she she's a brand new believer, but she shared what she had learned now that she's a new Christian. And it was some very almost exhortive type things where she shared like, hey, this is what, you know, I think I can't remember the word she kept repeating, but this is essential or something like that. She kept saying like, this is essential that you understand that this, you know, it was very, it was very good, but I was sharing her story. And I think that's very, very appropriate. You already spoke to someone giving a guest lecture, guest seminar of sorts. Uh, This is outside the church. What would you say about a woman serving as a seminary professor? I don't have a problem with that either. Again, a seminary is not a local church. I think the, these contexts of pastors we're reading are very local church issues, and uh, we need to make sure we don't try to extract that and apply that to seminaries. We don't apply it to colleges. We don't apply it to we don't apply it to the workplace. I mean, we don't, we don't even apply it to the being president of the United States. Let's throw that one out there. I mean, like it's not disqualified for a woman to do that. That's just not part of the scriptures. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, we got to be careful that we keep it in-house, that this is a very in-local <clears throat> church issue. So even your 1 Corinthians 14 passage you brought up, 
you know, when they are to be quiet, the women, is because it was not just the women that are to be quiet, really the, the other men are to be quiet too because the point was whenever prophecy was given that the, the pastors were to discern, is this a word from God? Is this consistent with scripture or is it not? That was not something for women to weigh in on, nor was it something for other men to weigh in on. It was something for the pastors only to do, which were men only. So all that being said, I think it's important for us to, to realize here at this point the most um, widespread analogy for the church in the New Testament is a family. Mm-hmm. And in churches like ours that are going to um, understand a complementarian perspective where the, the role and office of pastor is reserved for biblically qualified men, that we're we're very careful to protect that, and that's good. But there's a ditch that you have families where you have only fathers speaking into issues, and you need fathers and mothers speaking into Absolutely. issues. And um, and what that looks like in each local church, there will be other local churches that we wholeheartedly agree with, and we are really excited. If you move out of town for you to go to a church like that one, they're going to have some different convictions on this. Because they're going to understand what that looks like as a family a little bit differently. Um, and that doesn't make them heretics. And that's that's what social media um, and a lot of denominational rifts are are built to, to reinforce there. And I think this is one that we need to um, just remind ourselves of the need for charity here. This is not a first order doctrine. Yeah. As I said, it's not, it's not gospel. I mean, this is not gospel. We make sure we're not yelling and screaming at each other over this issue. Yeah, if you look at our own church's statement of faith, it's third tier. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And this is, I think, really important for us to get right as a local church because the world right now is clamoring in the darkness for meaning in these areas and trying to define different things. And if we go too far to the extreme, we lose the opportunity to show them truly what the light of the gospel is in a very real issue that the world is trying to find meaning on. This is an opportunity to really show them and they'll know us by our love for one another. And there's a love for what women bring to the body of Christ, to a local church. And we want to make sure that we highlight that as Scripture highlights it. I think it's important to see, this is why we do, I mentioned Sunday, why we do expository preaching, is because if you do expository preaching, you go verse by verse, this issue brought up on Sunday doesn't come up every Sunday. Right? It's, not a, it's not an issue that comes up every Sunday. I mean, it was unique for us. We haven't addressed it. I mean, we haven't addressed it in a couple of years because it just, just hasn't been there yet. Um, I think that speaks volumes to like, okay, it, it is true and what's in the Bible is true. We need to listen to it and obey it and apply it. Um, but I think just the balance of it, it's like, yeah, every Sunday we, we see Jesus. Every Sunday we talk about redemption and salvation and eternity. Like those are things that come up all the time because those are top tier importance. Um, don't get that wrong. That, that's essential. Uh, this one is not not at that level, but it is important. Again, every word of God is inspired, and every bit of it's profitable. Even even head coverings, even if we don't know what they mean. <laughs> so, complementarianism, biblically practiced, full of grace, actually will allow women to flourish in their God given role, and it's going to be the best thing both for the men and for the women. Yeah. But it doesn't always work out that way. Right, we we all know stories where that's been used as a, as a cover for abuse of power, for manipulation, for exploitation. Um, 
what do you say to the, the person who's listening right now, the woman who's listening and says, yeah, that, that all sounds fine. I hear the, the way you're explaining these passages, but everything I've always seen is that's just a, a cloak and dagger cover for men to abuse power and make women shut up and be bullies and to be exploited in some really terrible ways. Yeah, and I think I think the, I would say you're totally right. <laughs> like that is, as I mentioned on Sunday, like the last 2,000 years of church history, when you look at the abuses of the fall of men will be over domineering and abusive and women will try to usurp that, if you look at the history of how those elements of the fall have lived themselves out in 2,000 years, by far it's been much more of the men being being abusive and being domineering as opposed to the women trying to usurp that, right? right? I mean, we're, we're, we're at the end of that 2,000 years where there's much more maybe of the, you know, the feminism, the women trying to usurp that. We see that a little bit more now. Um, and so we may want to think it's like evenly balanced, but it's, it's still not. I think, like I said, the good part, if I could say this and not be, you know, burned at the stake in our church, but the good part of feminism is the exposure of the abuses of men um, that have taken this, this kind of truth and twisted it and perverted it in a way that they use it um, not the way God intended. And their leadership is not like Jesus their leadership is is not servant oriented. It's not seeking to love and serve as Jesus loved and served us. It's it's to take control and da, 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 to domineer and to kind of you know keep keep the women underneath your foot kind of thing. And that's not how Jesus led. And that's a very sad truth. So so I would say that that is very accurate. And that's something that's why I spent time in the sermon talking more about how the Bible uplifts the role <clears> of women. <throat> I didn't talk about how the Bible uplifts the role of men. Yep. Because I didn't really need to, culturally speaking, for the last 2,000 years, that's not what we need to hear. We need to hear that the Bible actually has uplifted the role of women and complimented them. And there needs to be more and more done um, to to make sure that we are complimenting one another and we are fulfilling the roles that God's given us to do. So I would just acknowledge and just say, yeah, I hear that, and that's probably very true for them. And to the woman who is sitting in a church and she believes that this is presently what's happening, how would you counsel and advise her? Well, I would say first for that one is like, if she's married, I mean, you know, she's single, this is different, but if she's married, I would say, you know, go talk to your husband. If he's a Christian, you know, if you're in a church and your husband's a Christian and you see this kind of abusive elements, is go talk to your husband. Um, you know, ask him, like, do you, do you see this? Tell him what you see. Um, because again, that's following, I think, the, 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 the prescription that God has given us in the Bible that the, the husband is to take the lead in that. Um, she should defer to him in that and go talk to him about that. Hopefully, if he is a good husband and this is truly going on, uh, that he would see that, acknowledge that, and say, you're right, I see that. And to have him then approach you know, the pastors and speak to them. Um, I mean, she can come along and join him with that, but I think just having the husband take the lead in the home, I want to encourage women to, to help their men lead because the men do need to lead and they are pretty passive and they don't usually step into that. Talk about the two sides of the fall is one is domineering and one is passivity. And um, if you have a husband that maybe is tended more towards the passivity side, encourage him to be a leader as God's called him to lead. Lead like Jesus. Tell him to do that. I think it's totally appropriate. You know, husband, you need to be like Jesus and lead me. And this is, this is an abuse going on. Me and other ladies in the church are being kind of, you know, kicked to the curb. You need to go help make this right. So then have him humbly approach the pastors. That, that's, that's the approach I would use if that's the scenario. Now, there's all kinds of scenarios where maybe your husband is one of the domineering, unhealthy, you know, unbiblical leaders in the church who's not 
doing it right. Maybe you don't have a husband. Maybe your husband's an unbeliever, right? So there's all kinds of other scenarios where you're like, man, that, that becomes really hard um, because not only are you living that out in the church, you're living it out in the home, and that's where you need to find some other godly, godly people, um, other godly ladies maybe, um, maybe other godly ladies who have husbands that can advocate for you and see that. and You just still got to approach it humbly. I'm not saying get the pitchforks out and charge charge the leadership of the church with the pitchforks and, you know, run them out of the place. It's like, let's still approach this biblically. Let's handle it biblically. Let's, uh, let's approach each other humbly and hope that that can change. And if it doesn't, and if you and if you're married, your husband, you know, it, it isn't going to change and there's you've done what you can, then I would say this is one of those rare instances. Not a common one, but one of the rare instances where you probably need to go find another church. Um, I say by by and large, we need to stick with our local churches and work through all the issues. But if you come to the point where they're, you know, this is just the way it is, and this is how we see it, um, then maybe it's a time to move on. As you approach that conversation, it's always good to follow First Corinthians thirteen to believe the best that they that they have the best intentions um, to not come in, you know, more accusatory. Because uh, it may not be coming from the pastors down. Right? It may it may be coming from certain people, certain men within the church that have read these passages and used them as tools for, you know, uh, domineering. Yeah, and uh, and it's not necessarily the pastors are like that. And bringing it to light to the pastors would help them to disciple and possibly discipline <laughs> the men who are not appropriately following Scripture in this way. Yeah, so this is a, a good segue here. We're running long, so I'm going to start to circle the wagons a little bit. Um, segue being... There's a ton of circumstances that we just can't tease out every single one here. If somebody's wanting f- uh, further resources, is there any books, articles, podcasts, sermons that, that you would direct them to say this was really helpful in, in understanding this issue? Uh, I'd go to our website on our distinctives. We have um, a short paragraph on women in ministry. And with that, we link a couple of articles that were informative to us. I can't remember exactly what they were, but... Those are all listed on our website, parkside.org. Yeah, I believe one of them is from John MacArthur. Um, look at the role of how God used women throughout the whole scope of Scripture. And one is uh, from a Southern Baptist publication. I think Dr. Tom Schreiner wrote that one um, that, w- that was also helpful. So two good resources. Pastor Chris, where, where would you send somebody? There, there's a, um, a group called the uh, Council of Biblical Manhood Womanhood, which is a good resource for that. You can Google that and find that uh, kind of evangelical organization. Say that out loud again. What is that group? Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, John Piper, Wayne Grudem, some of these guys that are pretty solid are in that kind of group. It's a sub, subset, I think, of the I think the Christian Biblical Counseling Group is now called now. I always want to say ACDC, but that is an 80s <laughs> rock band. AB, ABCD or ACDD. They always change their name up. It used to be called Nuthetic, but I'm not sure what it is anymore. But it's, it's like, all part of It's like of when it. churches change their name. I, I just know, can't remember right? it anymore. <laughs> Start changing it to Parkside. Like, what are you doing? Um, crazy pastors. Yeah, that would be <laughs> cbmw.org. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and I would point you to uh, Matt Chandler's church in Dallas, the Village Church, um, has done a lot of work on this. Um, and so they have two papers on their website that I've enjoyed um, called The Role of Women at the Village Church. Uh, one of them is like a five-pager, um, it's kind of some summary, um, and then the other one's pretty extensive. It's like 50 or 60 pages. If you want to dig deep on heavy-duty exegesis, 
Uh, they make those available free of charge. That is the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. Um, and the title of the paper is The Role of Women at the Village Church. I think those are helpful resources I ran across well. a, a good one this week, too. I have not read it, so I can't. I'm just going to give you. I ran across some pieces of it that I read that are really good. Um, it's called Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles, A Case for Gender Roles in Ministry. It's written by Kathy Keller. That's uh, the wife of Tim Keller. Uh, they live in New York City. Obviously, this is a very issue, very prominent issue that they've had to deal with a lot. It's a local church with a very progressive society they live in. Uh, again, it's called Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles by Kathy Keller. Uh, it's kind of more of a booklet type thing, but uh, it's something you can uh, you can find as well. It'd be helpful. Any last comments anybody wants to add before we wrap up here? All right. Well, we, we do hope this conversation has been helpful for you. You can always reach out to one of the pastors if you have any further questions. You have been listening to You Asked. You Asked.